The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When you wake up at 4 a.m., you'll learn a ton about the market. I encourage you to try it if you want to see how stocks are setting up. But unless you're allergic to sleeping like I am, you probably don't want to make a routine. Today was a classic example because it showed how something that's thinly traded but covered in a patina of authority and authenticity can often determine the media coverage of the morning. One look at the Dow futures told you that this would be a bad day, a down day, maybe a terrible day. Because the Dow futures were down 100 points. Of course, we only finished up nicely down, gaining 126 points. S&P advancing 0.35%. NASDAQ edging up 0.21%. I mean, it was a bonanza. So how come everybody was downbeat this morning? I heard many reasons. Well, the Delta strain of COVID, obviously. Fear of earnings season. A bunch of key downgrades. No lift from Virgin Galactic, even after successful flight by Sir Richard Branson. The repeated references to a rapid rise in COVID cases seem like the most likely culprit. But all of those seemingly legitimate reasons for a weak market obscured the truth, which is that the futures are absolutely worthless as a weather vane. You should just banish them from all thought unless you're looking for a buying opportunity when they foolishly knock things down. The reality is that companies are in charge of their own destiny. So the downward tug of the futures can give you some terrific prices. Remember, while stocks just are pieces of paper, they're backed by real businesses that are often run by real smart people. So tonight, I want to show you how juicy these bargains can be as long as you have an opportunistic attitude and you know, like me, how to read the tape. It starts with having a worldview. You can't come at the market with a view from nowhere. I mean, you need your own convictions. Right now, my worldview is positive. We've had an ugly bout of inflation, but I agree with Fed Chief Jay Powell in believing that it's transitory. A number of commodities have already come down big from their highs. I know we have a CPI number. If it comes in hot tomorrow, you'll say Kramer's crazy. But I've got to tell you, take lumber. It's, it went down another 5% today. Now, it's erased 2021's remarkable gains. 
Meanwhile, I think earnings should be very good for the most part. Employment strong. And the scattered quarterly reports that we've gotten in the last couple of weeks have all been pretty positive. You may not share my worldview, but if you're also inclined to be optimistic, let me tell you how to use the futures to go bargain hunting. These are real life examples that you can do if you pay close attention. All right. So let's start with an anecdote. This weekend, my wife and I slapped down 30 bucks. Well, 30 invisible bucks to watch an unbelievably fabulous movie. Black Widow with Scarlett Johansson, okay? Candidly, I was dubious going in. I like Marvel Technologies more than Marvel Comics. But Lisa, Lisa, she talked me into it. Now, some of it was easy. She said, we can sit down on the couch and have gigantic Coke Zeros, Hershey's Kisses, and Raw Men delivered right before the movie began. We watched it on our big screen TV from the couch in our living room. We stuffed ourselves with Hershey's Kisses. We poured down the Cokes. They weren't five bucks a piece. And we loved it! If it weren't for a centipede that somehow appeared on the wall behind us, Lisa got rid of it because I was way too scared. It would have been a perfect evening. Look, after that experience, I figured Disney was a screaming buy, right? Even before I heard that Black Widow made a total of 80 million, including 60 million just from Disney Plus. It proves they can make big money at the box office where the story is one of reopening, which is what I wanted so much, and streaming at the same time. So when Disney dips slightly, to 177 this morning because of the moronic futures. That was your chance. If you pounce near the opening, you finish the day up 4%. Now, it doesn't hurt that they just raised the price of ESPN from 599 to $699. I bet you nobody even notices. I know I won't. I think it's an incredible value. But there it is, right there because of the futures. Boom. What a trade that is. Okay, now, next up. American Express. Almost got a preview of that earlier. Ever since we sat down with Steve Squeery, the CEO at my bar in Brooklyn, I've been convinced that this stock has been a must-own. But look at this. Look how this works. Yeah, you, you, Don't leave your portfolio with that. This morning, American Express caught an out one but two price target boosts after a big upgrade last week from Goldman Sachs. I was jonesing. Yet thanks to the futures, the stock opened down two bucks. You had to buy it with both hands. Look at the money you could have made here. This is because of the stupid futures. And then it snaps right back. Bingo. What a fantastic entry point or trade. And uh, that's how you can make money uh, almost immediately with the Amex finishing up the day nearly two bucks. But you got it down here at the discount. All right, then there are the banks. Oh, these two are really juicy. You have two of them in the Dow. You got J.P. Morgan, you got Goldman Sachs. Now, these are day trades because they're about to report earnings, and I'm not confident enough in the numbers to justify holding them. But, man, Goldman was down four early. Okay, look at this. Look at this. Uh, Rally to up 12, ring the register, right? That's what I suggest, ring the register. J.P. Morgan, look at this. Gets bang. Again, all of this because of these thinly traded futures. J.P. Morgan get, gets banged down two bucks at the open. If you bought it there, you were up five almost instantly. Ka-ching, ka-ching. The pattern's been with us for months now, and each time it fools people. That's why I'm going through this so granularly. I am urging you not to be misled by the downward pull of the futures. Close your eyes. Ulysses, put yourself on the mask. Just wrap yourself. If you have the courage of your bullish convictions, these dips are a gift. Why does this method work? Because I don't take my cue from the action. 
Like I said, you need your own worldview, one that doesn't change based on the market's day-to-day gyrations. I know that's hard to do, but that's what you must do. I always tell ActionAlertsPlus.com club members that it's vital to have what I call a six-month worldview. Six months is about as far as we can see. It's kind of like the 12 miles you can see from the beach before the horizon. Assuming your worldview is positive like mine, then you can treat these pullbacks like a buying opportunity, plain and simple. So let's go back to my worldview, because it's the most essential piece of the puzzle. What makes me bullish? Right? Isn't that what it's about? What makes me bullish? Even though we're getting a lot of anti-business rhetoric from the White House, it's mostly blunted by gridlock in Congress. When Biden bashed the railroads last week, accusing them of price gouging, you had to hold your nose and buy Norfolk Southern, which now is up a quick eight points. Biden wants to crack down on the perceived excesses of big business, but he doesn't have the votes in the Senate to do it. So I expect this pattern to repeat itself over and over, and you must be ready for it. Norfolk Southern. Keep thinking Norfolk Southern. Second, I think, uh, Jay Powell, I, I think he's dead right about the temporary nature of inflation. Many commodities already peaked two months ago. That means the Fed can continue to be your buddy. Third, there's a lot of money coming in this market, but I don't think there's the sign of a top, despite what I keep hearing. It's more of a sign that bonds are making next to nothing. Their yields have collapsed thanks to the slight slowdown in the economy. More importantly, tons of buying from overseas. That means stocks, once again, are the only game not in town. How about the world? Finally, I'm expecting pretty good earnings season. Maybe not the best because most companies will have their profits stinged by inflation. And, and uh, unfortunately, the banks start and they've got issues about their trading divisions. Not that good. But I believe we're going to get a number of bumps and upgrades that will keep the rally going. You'll come in here and you'll hear a raising price target. Up. Hold the buy. That's what it's going to be. Bottom line, if you share my bullish worldview, then you can wake up early, take a look. Wait for the futures to knock down your favorite stuff. Get up at 4 a.m., please. I'll be there tomorrow. I'll wake you at 3.30. Remember, never buy all at once, but think of this morning and be opportunistic, okay, both in trading and investing. And how about that Disney going to an opening model? Beautiful. Hey, why don't we start with Paul in California, please, Paul? Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Paul. First time, Paul. All right. First time, long time from Bone Dry, California. Yeah. With, ki- with kids finally going back to school, is Target a good back to school stock, or should I watch for other BSS? Okay. All right. I am so Paula calls about Target. I am so glad she called. How many times have you heard I can't buy Target because it keeps going up? It can't buy you. I missed it. I missed it. You haven't missed it. Brian Cornell is a merchandising genius. Just get in and then wait for a little downturn and buy more. Oh, my God. I'm talking to myself. Jim in Pennsylvania. Jim. Booyah, Dr. Chill. I tried to chill this weekend. Thank you. I put a lot of pictures of the dog up. Had to take one of them down. What's up? A few months back, you had this company CEO on and you were very excited about them. They are up about 8% since then, but they feel like a very pandemic-driven corporation. With more and more indoor activities opening up at full capacity and concerts and the likes beginning again, should I buy more, hold, or sell Brunswick Corporation? I want you to hold Brunswick. I know there's some people who think it's got a bad head and shoulders pattern. Me, personally, I like it. Uh, but you know what? It's sold out for a long time, and I think people like they get like four. People can't see. Well, why aren't you raising prices if you're sold out? Well, the answer is, is that people agreed to buy them. Uh, early, like I did, with my unbelievable, fantastic Boston Whaler that only my wife can drive because I'm too scared. Next week, will determine a lot for this earnings season. On Mad Money tonight, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler, oh man, he's got plenty on his plate. How many times have you heard that? 
So I'm going to take you through the courses. It's kind of like one of those, one of those great Italian restaurants. Then could the solar stock shine in this market? I'm taking a closer look at the group after it bottomed earlier this year. And it's a company that's partnering and competing with the likes of Amazon and Alphabet. You may never have heard of it. I'm going to tell you if it's time to invest in the second most expensive stock in this market, MongoDB. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreated in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now that Gary Gensler, the new chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, has had a few months to get acclimated, what should he do? Lately, I've noticed that we've spent a lot of time highlighting issues that the SEC desperately needs to address. So tonight, I want to put them all together into a single agenda. Now, i got a lot of faith in Gensler. He used to run the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. I think he's one of the Biden's best appointments. But that's why I want to make his job easier, with some friendly advice on how to create a better environment for American investors. People keep telling me he can't do anything. Why? Because he has a full plate. Funny, I've been hearing that darn full plate story from the moment he got the job. My goal tonight is to fill the plate with the right stuff so Gensler can pick and choose from it until he's eaten everything. No more full plate gibberish. Actual eating. So here's my seven point white plate special, not blue, but white plate special 
for the new SEC chairman. First and foremost, Gensler needs to strike while the iron is hot after the DD global debacle and crackdown on Chinese IPOs. This is something that I've been warning you about for years. Most Chinese companies that come public here are low quality. Uh, and uh, their stocks tend to radically underperform the peers of the rest of the market. Now, this is already on the SEC's to-do list because late last year, Congress passed the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act in the wake of still one more fraudulent IPO. This one was from China, the Luckin Coffee. The point of this law is to force foreign companies that list their stocks here to obey the same financial standards as American companies. And the SEC has been making some progress formulating these new regulations. But under the proposed rules, impacted companies will have three years, three years to comply with the new requirements. That feels wrong to me. In the wake of the DDIPO, where the Chinese Uber came public here, then had its app pulled from every app store in China a few days later, I think there needs to be a greater sense of urgency. I would shorten the grace period from three years to one year or even six months. Hey, Chinese Communist President Xi would do it in six hours. On top of that, the SEC should ban any new IPOs for companies that fail to comply with the new rules. The good news here is that the China crackdown on big tech uh, companies has shelved many of these deals. LinkTok Technology just pulled its IPO. That's supposed to happen last week. And the parent company of TikTok indefinitely postponed its own offshore IPO. Still, this should not be a controversial position. If foreign companies want access to American exchanges, they should have to obey American accounting rules. Now that everyone in Washington finally seems on board, the SEC should make it happen and happen quickly before more investors get hurt. Otherwise, every Chinese IPO prospectus should come with something like a cigarette warning. The plate is getting full. Item number two, cryptocurrencies. For years, it's been unclear which regulatory agencies have primary jurisdiction over crypto. Is it the SEC, which oversees stocks and bonds, or the CFTC, which oversees commodities and all sorts of derivatives? I don't encourage, look, I'm trying to encourage the SEC to take some ownership here especially since Chairman Gensler has some prior experience as a member of the MIT Digital Currency Initiative, we know there are some clear-cut areas where the SEC has jurisdiction, like publicly traded crypto plays, think Coinbase, or soon-to-be public ones like Circle or Bullish, both of which are merging with SPACs yet. Oh, God. Same goes for Bitcoin-focused ETFs, like the one ARK Invest proposed late last month. I think Gensler should use these clear-cut examples as the basis for a regulatory power grab. I know government oversight is the last thing the crypto maniacs want, but without some oversight, the whole space could turn to disaster. At the very least, I want the SEC to define which cryptocurrencies are securities and thus subject to the same regulations as stocks or bonds. Even if Gensler doesn't think he has jurisdiction, he can kick some of the stuff over to the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which exists to watch out for threats to the financial system. Could be a good forum to take a look at these stable coins like Tether, which we talked about last week. We're going to keep revisiting until they open the kimono, show us the commercial paper they claim as their reserves. Third, the SEC needs to go after the blatant pump and dump schemes because we're seeing these things everywhere. I'm not talking about what Reddit did with GameStop or AMC. They never dumped. I mean the blatant attempts to manipulate up stocks with a one or two day blitz before the pushers cash out. In early June, Wendy shot up 25 percent in a day before the marauders moved in. and The next target left buyers holding the back. Last week, they did the same thing to an e-commerce play called Newegg which is crashing now. The same things happen to smaller names. Today, it was a little Hong Kong-based uh, company, uh, the, uh, it's SGO CEO, uh, SCOGO, that only had one press release in the last 18 months. And what was it? A deficiency notice from the NASDAQ for failing to file their annual report. This thing's up nearly tenfold in the last two trading days. The SEC could easily triangulate who did the early buying in SGO and who fomented the early social media activity to pump this one up. I think they should 
Because the people who come in late with these, uh, these things, they're all getting obliterated. It feels like there's a new one of these every day. They'll keep coming until Gensler starts gunning for them, which you should do pronto. Do there were two or three just today of these multi-million share pumps and dumps. Everyone happens and there are losers. Come on, commission. Speaking of malfeasance, SEC needs to go after big institutions, too, which brings me to item four. Only a few uh, months ago, an alpha called Arkegos imploded after using derivatives to build up massive, highly leveraged positions in stocks like Viacom uh, and Discovery. And, and, and uh, you know, it looks like Arkegos manipulated its brokers, getting them to lend more money by misleading them about its positions. I, it could happen again. The prime brokerages are so desperate for business. SEC really has got to do something to head this one off. Number five, the SPACs themselves. All right. Now, we've seen so many garbage SPACs in the last past year. And for me, the biggest issue is the companies use these mergers as a way to come public without being subject to all the scrutiny you get from an IPO. The worst part is that these SPAC targets are allowed to issue forward projections, tend to be absurdly optimistic. 2026 is going to be a great year. Wow. In late March. The SEC already took action here with some cautionary comments, effectively warning these companies that the moment their deals are completed, they'll be treated just like normal IPO names. Too late! Too late! They're responsible for all the projections and the registration documents. Oh, that's a good start. But I love it if the SEC came in after some of the worst defenders, executives who straight applied. That would teach them a lesson. Issue number six. Yeah. With Robinhood likely coming public this month. It, don't you think it's a good time for the SEC to look at the retail brokerages? Check out what they're doing. They've got to make sure that maybe the investment products given to home gamers are actually suitable for these individuals. I think there's some room for the SEC to better regulate options trading at the very least. It should come with more education before they light your money on fire. Finally, number seven. Today I saw a story about how Congress wants the SEC to look into pre-approved trading plans for corporate executives. Me, I think pre-approved trading plans, eh, they're all right. But you know what the SEC should be looking into? Insider trading by members of Congress itself. Right now, insider trading is more or less legal if you're a legislator. That's insane! I'm not sure what the SEC can do here, but they should look into it. When I worked with Senator Al Gore in the 80s to design his portfolio, we kept running into committee work that would give him an unfair edge. In the end, we decided he should only own U.S. Treasuries. That's the right rule, period, hard stop. But there's no momentum for my position. Here's the bottom line. Right now, the SEC has a lot on its plate, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So I hope they get the priorities straight. For me, that means cracking down on Chinese IPOs, figuring out how to regulate cryptocurrency, and going after blatant digital bump and dump, and laying down the law for members of Congress. All cash, no blind trust. Hey, come on, guys. You're making laws, not money. Stick with Coming up, which solar stocks will leave you walking on sunshine? Pop on your shades. It's always sunny in Cray-America. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Make some money together. After Biden won the election last November, all sorts of politically sensitive stocks caught fire. The ones that benefit from a Democratic administration, you know, electric vehicles, cannabis, right? And of course, the solar energy complex. They got another huge boost in early January when the Democrats captured the Senate after winning both runoff races in Georgia. That move was extreme and obviously unsustainable which is why I didn't recommend the solar stocks last winter. Sure enough, once February rolled around, the whole turn of energy space rolled over. For example, the Invesco solar ETF tumbled an astounding 46% from its January highs to its mid-May lows. But since bottoming a couple months ago, along with the rest of the hyper-growth cohort, the solar stocks have gotten their groove back. They've bounced hard off their lows, although they're still down big from the peak. And you know what? I think that this group has a lot more room to run. At the most basic level, solar power is an incredible secular growth story. Ah. Demand for solar energy equipment has been rising significantly for years, and there's no reason it would stop now. Not when the technology keeps getting better and better and cheaper and cheaper. What's driving this? First, you've got the rise of environmental, social, and corporate governance investing. That's ESG for short. Big asset managers like Fortress, like BlackRock, have overhauled their investment strategy to focus on environmental sustainability. Huge companies increasingly want to go carbon negative. Even ExxonMobil got religion on climate change after an insurgent group of investors came out of nowhere and seized three board seats at the last annual meeting. They, I think they spent about $12 million to get on the board. But this story is about more than the environment. Right now, our electric grid is falling apart. Anytime we get extreme weather, a winter storm in Texas, a heat wave in the Pacific Northwest, it causes prolonged outages. If you can't rely on the grid, individuals and enterprises both have a major incentive to have a backup energy source, like solar panels. Meanwhile, the housing market's booming, and that matters because solar's got a meaningful positive correlation with housing. Some of these new homeowners are eager to stick solar panels on the roof. Doesn't hurt that the average cost for residential photovoltaic system is down roughly 50% over the last decade. It still costs $20,000, but it's very easy to get financing. You've even got services like Tesla's Solar City business that will install solar panels for free, then give you the equivalent of a 20-year lease. Perhaps most important, the federal government has gotten a lot more supportive of renewables, including solar. It was a mistake to chase these stocks to the moon in the wake of the election. But the buyers did have a smart thesis. I want, think, think about the solar investment tax credit. For 15 years now, Uncle Sam has made solar investments partially tax deductible. Right now, you can deduct 26% of what you spend on these products. The only problem? It starts phasing out in a couple of years. But President Biden wants to extend it. When he released his infrastructure plan in March, it called for a 10-year extension of the solar tax credit. 
Of course, that plan stalled. The White House has had to negotiate a smaller bipartisan bill. But the president seems very committed to solar. And as far as bipartisan policymaking goes, tax credits, come on. They are an easy sell. Put it all together, an analyst at an investment firm Stevens are forecasting 24% annual solar installation growth from this year through 2023. The one part of the story that's up in the air, in 2018, then-President Trump slapped a bunch of tariffs on imported solar equipment. We were favoring that on this show. And earlier this year, the Biden administration actually defended parts of that policy. These tariffs have divided the U.S. solar industry. Companies that do their own domestic manufacturing love them. Companies that outsource their manufacturing overseas hate them. We don't know what will happen here, but for now, the tariffs are in effect. Okay, that's the background. How do we play it? I'm going to give you, write them down, three my favorite solar stocks. Three of them that I really, really like here. And the first one, kind of obvious from what I've been saying, but, geez, it's been good for a long time. And Well, it's first solar. Here's a company that benefits from the tariffs because it makes its own photovoltaic panels, so it doesn't have a tariff problem. First Solar has a proprietary thin film technology that makes its panels more efficient in certain climates, which is why it's become the vendor of choice for many commercial-scale solar projects. We know business is good because they're pretty much sold out for 2021 and more than 70% of the way to being sold out for 2022. First Solar is building its third domestic manufacturing facility in Ohio right now, which makes them a winner from the tariffs. Also, don't forget, this is not some tiny startup. They've been around for a long time. I remember when they came on and talked about thin film. They've got an excellent balance sheet, and the company's so profitable that the stock sells for just over 21 times earnings. Right now, First Solar trades in the mid-90s. It's down 18 bucks from its peak. And while I'd like it more on weakness, you have got my blessing to put a small position on right here. Second, when you use a solar panel, it produces direct current electricity, DC. If you want to use that power, you first need to turn it into alternating current electricity using a piece of equipment that's called an inverter. There are many different ways to do this. You could have a 1,000 solar panels feeding a single inverter. But increasingly, the industry has embraced something called smaller-scale micro-inverters. Micro-inverter that you stick in every single solar panel. That way, each panel is its own self-contained electrical system. And when it comes to microinverters, one company controls nearly the entire market. You see it go up all the time, and I want you to know about it. It's called Enphase Energy. Enphase. They spent ages working on this technology, and ever since it rolled out a few years ago, the stock's been on fire. $26 at the end of 2019, 186 today. And, and, and that's after pulling back more than 40 points from its highs earlier this year. Oh, I like the Enphase. Great long, it's a great long-term growth story at Enphase. Finally, there's one I've talked about incessantly, Generac Holdings. You might remember these guys as a maker of fossil fuel-powered backup power generators. I've got one. But a couple of years ago, the company made a series of acquisitions to pivot into energy storage. And storage is the key to making solar viable because it addresses the biggest vulnerability, the fact that solar panels only work when it's sunny out. Genrec has been one of my favorite ways to play an increasingly unreliable electric grid. And while the stock looks expensive up here, management's got a terrific track record. Let me put it this way. The stock's nearly quadrupled since we spoke to CEO Aaron Jagfeld 16 months ago. Quadrupled. It's up roughly 52% since our last interview in mid-May. As much as I hate to chase, you've got my blessing again to put on a small position because I like this company so much, and it's right ahead of hurricane season. This market rewards good stocks, even if they've moved up a great deal. 
I could go on and on about inverters. Solar Edge Technologies has a power optimization business that's somewhat similar to Enphase, although they're more focused on big commercial solar projects than residential ones. You've also got sort of subsectors we don't have time to talk, touch on, like the solar panel distributors, think Sunrun or Sonova. There's Tesla's solar biz that I mentioned before, the one Elon Musk is defending in court today. I think it's a good one. But if, if, if you need to own Tesla. Uh, you should do it for the electric vehicle business. And by the way, you should do it. I like Tesla stock very much here. The bottom line, we needed to wait for the big post-election shakeout before recommending the solar stocks. But now that the weak hands are gone, the group's rebounding hard off its lows. I think your portfolio needs some solar exposure, ideally with First Solar, Enphase, or Generac. Carol in Alabama. Carol. Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Carol. I hold a position. Well, thank you. I hold a position in Diamondback Energy. I've held it through the pandemic lows. I can now take some profits. My question is, it's on the uptick. Should I buy more, hold it, or sell it? I want you to hold Fang, which is Diamondback Energy. I... Uh, I am such a believer in the Permian. I did so much work on Devon last week. Devon is my preferred now, and then Pioneer, and then Chevron. But I have to tell you, Diamondback is a very well-run company with a very aggressive, uh, very aggressive view. You've got my blessing to hold on to, but not buy more up here. All right, guys, listen to me. Lather up that SPF because your portfolio needs some solar exposure. Much more made money yet. I'm sitting down with the CEO of MongoDB. Wow! To find out how the company is taking customers from the old guard and doing it quickly. Then I'll tell you why you shouldn't ignore the impact of irrational behavior this earnings season. It's going to play a big role. And all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Now that some of the cloud stocks have cooled off after their monster rebound, how do you know when they're worth buying? Take MongoDB. That's the cloud-based software company with a database management platform that's beloved by app developers. Here's a stock that's risen more than tenfold since its IPO. That's less than four years ago, including a remarkable 173% run in 2020. Of course, earlier this year, MongoDB peaked along with the rest of the cloud cohort, with the stock plunging from 428 in February down to $238 at its May lows. But since then, it's come roaring back. Remember, that was when the CPI came in too hot. People thought the Fed was going to put the brakes on. Now it's surged to $390 late last month, pulling back to $350 as of today. Let's call it uh, uh, volatile. MongoDB did lose some of its momentum after doing a big secondary offering at the end of June. At this point, the stock's actually down 2% year-to-date. At these levels, I'm conflicted. On the one hand, the company's growing at a 32% clip. On the other hand, it's not yet profitable, and the stock trades at nearly 30 times this year's estimates. In that sense, it's very expensive, but not compared to other cloud stocks. I mean, look, Snowflake, which you know we love, trades at 70 times sales. So should we pay up, pay up for this one? I got an idea. Let's check in with Dave Itichera. He is the president and CEO of MongoDB to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Itichera, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, David, I remember when you were on last, you had just introduced this uh, Atlas program, and we talked about how you thought it was going to be big. How big is Atlas and tell people what it does? Well, Atlas has been huge for our business. Atlas essentially is our global cloud database. We introduced it in 2016. Last month was our five-year anniversary. And uh, when we announced our Q1 numbers, we also announced that it's now the majority of our business. It's nearly a $400 million business 
growing at 73% year over year. So it's growing incredibly fast, and we're really pl- proud about what we've done, but we're even prouder of what we think we can do going forward. Now, on, the, uh, on your conference call, you, got, you named a couple of what I would call Tiffany accounts, including Tiffany, but you, you have uh, Audi and ATT. Now, I have known Audi for a long time. They only take, and UI Path too, which is another interesting account, but Audi does, can have anybody they want. I mean, it's a brilliantly run company. Why do you think they chose MongoDB? Well, I think very simply, MongoDB is one of the most popular technologies used by developers everywhere. And what I mean everywhere, I mean everywhere. In China, in India, in Latin America, obviously along with North America and Europe. So one of the reasons Alibaba and a whole bunch of other companies, we have a relationship with Tencent too, they've offered managed MongoDB services is because developers love MongoDB. Our software has been downloaded 180 million times. To put that number in perspective, there's only 25 million developers in the world. So that gives you a sense of how popular we've become, and we are becoming the standard by which people build applications. You know, Dave, I was looking at your website in one of the IranTheStreet.com for a long time, and I was always upset that Forbes, in the last few years, was able to do so many things. I couldn't believe how quickly they were able to change their site, do everything, commerce too. That was all built on MongoDB, wasn't it? It was. So one of the advantages of MongoDB is that it offers a very flexible schema. So you can make changes very, very quickly. Also built into MongoDB is the ability to have massive performance and scale. So if you are a gaming application and want to have millions of users around the world, use MongoDB. If you're a media application, want to stream stream videos to your users, use MongoDB. If you're uh, running an e-commerce site, Oh, by the way, if you're running a, you know, um, a trading floor on Wall Street, use MongoDB because you want that performance and scale and you want to be, be able to innovate fast. So when people think of MongoDB, they think of, of innovating fast and at scale. And that's what really differentiates us over everyone else. Now, I, I know you guys are a kind of frenemies with uh, Microsoft because there is a chart in one of your uh, excellent, excellent website which shows how much easier it is and quicker it is than using SQL. But at the same time, I mean, this is the SQL kind. Um, at the same time, you do some business with Microsoft. How do you balance that? Because it sure didn't seem like you kind of laid it out that SQL shouldn't be used. It's much slower and more. Uh, and by the way, I think much harder in terms of all the code. Exactly. So <clears throat> when we went, uh, when we were going public, we had just launched Atlas the year before. And there were a lot of investors who were skeptical about could we really partner and compete with the hyperscale vendors. Well, we've done that. As I said, Atlas is now the majority of our business and it's growing over 70% year over year. And we partner with uh, Azure, we partner with Amazon and with Google. And our business is growing really fast on all three clouds. And what people have realized is that MongoDB is a far superior alternative to relational. So developers don't think in rows and columns. Relational databases are essentially Excel spreadsheets on steroids. They want to build on a platform that's that's natural to the way they think and natural to the way they code, which is why MongoDB is so popular. It allows them to innovate fast, ship products out the door quickly, and enables executives to seize new opportunities or rest- respond to new threats very, very quickly. That's what differentiates MongoDB. Now, there are lots of people out there these days who say, listen, Jim, if they're not making any money, I don't want to be in them. And I come back and say, listen, if you're growing at 60% and then the next year growing at 70%, I will pay up for, at, for when I get accelerated revenue growth. You're giving us that. What do you say to the people who are saying, listen, why aren't they making a lot of money? So, Jim, we're seeing a once-in-a-lifetime 
platform shift happening in our generation with the move to the cloud. It's giving a massive opening to a company like MongoDB, and we have literally 1% share of the market. So it'd be silly for us to optimize for profitability when we see so, so much opportunity. All our R&D investments are offensive in nature. We're building new products and new capabilities so people can run more use cases on our platform. We're investing more in our go-to-market so we can expand our reach. We still have many parts of the world where we're vastly under, undercovering so that we want to put more, more feet on the street and also be able to reach customers digitally. So given all that, it, it makes sense for us to invest and invest for growth. And, that's, and, and frankly, investors have been happy about that. Well, well, look, I've been completely impressed. I, I am uh, struck by how uh, prevalent you are and how I wish that I had been using your technology at a point when it was still relevant to me before a company was sold. I want to thank you for coming on, David Ichera. He's the CEO of MongoDB. You've really built an amazing company, sir. Thank you for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me. Highest growth other than Snowflake that I allow in terms of what I think you should buy. Uh, By the way, four-time CNBC Disruptor, a 50 company, and our weekly newsletter offers a closer look at Disruptor 50 companies like MongoDB before they go public. Look what you would have gotten if you bought this one and came public. Hey, listen, all you got to do is sign up by visiting cnbc.com slash Disruptor Newsletter. We feature so many disruptors. Why not get in early? Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It's time for the Lightning Round! And then the Lightning Round is over. Are you ready? Ski Dad, the Lightning Round is over. Steven, the message is Steven! Hey, Jimbo. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Jim, and, uh, welcome, thanks Jim. a lot on behalf of all of us, Adrian Millennials, for helping us hit the ground running with this investing thing. I like that. So, yeah, I got one for you. So all with right. all the cybersecurity stuff going on, obviously a lot of data breaches, hacks, a lot of rhetoric in between governments. What are your thoughts on uh, on FireEye? It seems to be you know, the largest of all people. We want, we want CrowdStrike. We want Zscaler. Or we want Palo Alto Networks. Those are our plays. And then when uh, when Deep Instinct comes, we will recommend that too. I do like Sentinel, but I haven't done enough work on it. I need to go to Kenny in Maryland. Kenny! Hi, Jim. It's Kenny from Maryland. I'd like to know what you think of OCX on Cusite Corp. Uh, I guess your long-term vision on that side. I like, di- I like diagnostics. I like anti-cancer. I'm going to bless it as a speculation. Jay in Washington. Jay. Hi, Jim. First time caller, long time viewer who wants to thank you for all you do for us. Oh, uh, thank you, investors. man. Thank you. Uh, fittingly, today I'm calling about Monday.com, ticker MNDY. Oh, man. It's, uh, That's a hard stock. The MNDY is a very hard stock. I mean, I, I get caught up like a MongoDB. These guys are even harder to understand. Uh, team management's very hard. I've got to do more work. Derek in uh, New York. Derek. Big Buffalo Booyah to you, Jim. Yeah, thank you for booyah, taking back my call. at you. Booyah, what's up? Love the show. Wanted to get your thoughts on newly NASDAQ-listed cannabis retailer. Too many of them. I like Grow Generation, period, end of story. Jenny in Connecticut. Jenny. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm good, Jen. How about you? 
doing good. Thanks, Jim. Oh, we love your show. Oh, thank you. So, Jim, can you tell me uh, what would you do with uh, my Dermtech shares? Should I hold or sell? Wow. 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 Oh, man, my wife was in that business for so long. Uh, you know what? I, I, I got to tell you, anything that can have early detection skin cancer is worth speculating on. I really believe that. We need to stop that disease. Now I'm going to DJ in New Jersey. DJ! Booyah, baby! Booyah. I'm a new investor, and I'm wondering if 3D Systems' recent price drop presents a huge buy No, 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 no. New investor, you're going to go with something. No, you, oh, no. We're going with something much more conservative than that. New investor, we're going to actually hit on United Health, UNH. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, a walk down Wall Street isn't always a rational perambulation. Find out how COVID vaccine behavior may have you slapping your forehead this earnings season. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. She needed toilet paper and Scarlett gave her some toilet paper. Like, literally, do you have a square to spare? Underneath. Yeah, really. Underneath. And then, but she didn't know it was Scarlett Johansson. And she opens, and it's Scarlett Johansson, who is, like, so thoughtful. We now know also goes to the bathroom like everybody else. (laughs) That was not the point of the story. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Whenever you buy a stock, you are betting on human behavior. Typically, we assume a certain baseline level of rationality. When you invest in an insurance company, you're presuming that tons of people won't deliberately try to crash their cars or burn down their houses. When you invest in a retailer, you're presuming that people take that new child tax credit we talk about and spend it on clothes rather than just, say, lighting the money on fire. But sometimes people don't behave rationally. Sometimes we do things against our own best interests, which brings me to the vaccine. I have a physician I've seen for many years. Every year around my birthday, I go in for my physical, get advice on my diet, my blood pressure, my skin, all the usual body parts that start falling apart when you get older. It's so different from getting your car maintained, except it's more expensive and time-consuming. This year, I went to see him. I went a little earlier because I was worried about COVID. He said I had to get the vaccine by any means necessary, even if it meant constantly clicking on websites to find an open slot. Our staff helped me, so I was able to get to a, a, go to a tent on Staten Island, get injected. Hey, can't beat it. When I told my doctor, he reminded me not to forget the second dose and that I wouldn't be fully immunized until 12 days after the shot number two. He also told me to keep wearing a mask because if lots of people got the virus at work, the vaccine might not be powerful enough to stop a breakthrough infection. We didn't have enough data. That all sounded pretty darn rational to me. I mean, at no point was it a political issue. It was a medical issue. Hey, maybe I'm naive. Because early on, I figured nearly everyone would want the vaccine. I mean, after all, who the heck wants to get COVID? My daughter got it, missed three weeks of work, felt terrible for a very long time. So did many of my friends. I know elderly people who caught it and passed away quickly. So when we get a chance to get vaccinated years before the experts said it was possible. I thought we'd treat it like a miracle. And the government would do the same thing like it did with polio, where all we had to do was go to our local high schools to get our shots or our sugar cubes, as I did. A year ago, people thought I was crazy for believing that scientists could quickly create a vaccine, but I did. Turns out I got it right. The crazy part turned out to be believing that people would be eager to take the vaccine. Right now, we're only about 50 percent vaccinated in this country. 
largely because of some bizarre belief that it doesn't work or it violates our rights or conspiracy theories about microchips. Maybe I should have taken a page from H.L. Mencken. Nobody ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American people. And look, this isn't just a red state, blue state thing. Yesterday, we learned that a bunch of players from the Phillies came down with COVID because the team was, was still isn't 85% vaccinated. How could the ownership not insist on 100% these players? I mean, this is, they play, pay them millions. I mean, it's totally irrational. That kind of irrationality is wreaking havoc on the stock market, too. Whenever I bring this up, I get trashed on social media for caring more about money than freedom. After all, this is America. Don't we have a God-given right to be stupid and self-destructive? I see analogies to smoking cigarettes, another irrational, harmful behavior. But at least smokers actually enjoy smoking cigarettes, even if it's incredibly unhealthy. Nobody likes getting COVID. At the end of the day, we're in the money-making business here. We have to figure out whether people will go back to work, something that seemed inevitable once the vaccine became commonplace. But with all these unvaccinated people, will people go back to Tyson Foods or GM or McDonald's? Do they stay at home, collect unemployment because they correctly fear their colleagues will get them sick? Are we in for another round of shutdowns in critical manufacturing areas in the right to fire states? All these anti-vaxxers are being irrational. And the problem with irrational behavior, it's very hard to model. That comes into play starting this week because it's earnings season. I think we'll be surprised by how much absenteeism will impact the numbers because all these people choosing not to get vaccinated has delayed the return enormously. It's also, of course, hurt people, uh, places look at, looking for people to work. You know what? It's not live free or die. It's live like a moron and get COVID like a moron. Do not confuse them. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise try to find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.